welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 46. It's working. My life with Asperger's syndrome. So I just got a package in the mail from Operation Underground Railroad. You guys know I've been nerding out all about that because I keep talking about it like the last three episodes. Anyways, and I got a shirt that says I'm an abolitionist and I got five bracelets because it was cheaper to buy five than just one per bracelet. And I was like, well, I can hand these out to people. And I got some OUR sunglasses, and I even got some dog tags. I don't really know why. I don't, I feel like it'll be a little weird if I wear dog tags, if I'm like strutting around with dog tags and people will think like I'm a wannabe army person, but I don't know. Maybe I'll wear them. I don't know. But it feels so good to support. So good to support. I think just any little bit helps over there. Operation Underground Railroad, they're so cool. I have such a crush on them. I'm going to start by sharing a story that someone sent me. So last week I started asking if you guys would send stories of a time when you felt seen or you saw someone else being seen with compassion and connection in their own life and you witnessed that. If you would send me stories, I also said you could send me questions if you want me to answer. Uh, I can't promise the answers will be good, but I will answer. (laughs) So this one is a little bit of a longer story, but we have some time on the podcast today, so it's perfect for today. This is what it says. I've experienced postpartum depression with each of my three pregnancies. Each time has been a little different. The most recent one was probably the most intense. My little boy was born right around noon. Everything went really well. He was adorable. With my first two babies, my husband was able to spend the night at the hospital with me. With this baby, we decided to have my husband take my other two boys who were staying with my mom home each night to sleep in their own beds. I knew I would have a hard time with him leaving, but also felt like it would be good for our boys. When he left the first night, I let myself cry for a couple minutes, but then I had some visitors who were great distractions. After they left, I really started having a hard time. The two weeks before my baby was born had been really hard, mentally and emotionally. I've learned since that it is possible for symptoms of postpartum depression to hit before the baby is born. My anxiety was really high. It was so high one night I had to leave the bathroom door open while I showered because I didn't even want to be in a different room than my husband. I was afraid of being alone with my thoughts. Well, that's exactly where I was that night in the hospital, alone with my thoughts. I started thinking about how difficult the past two weeks had been. I started to think that was what the next few weeks were going to be like, except this time I had a newborn. I started to panic. I started to feel like I couldn't do it. I tried my best to breathe through the panic. I remember just staring at the handles on the side of the bed, hoping I'd be okay. Thank heavens I had been texting my therapist earlier. She is wonderful. I had shot her a text and a picture earlier in the day to let her know the baby was here. And she had asked the typical after having a baby questions. I decided to text her and be honest about how I was doing. I texted, I feel kind of unstable mentally. I just kind of breathed my way through an almost panic attack. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and inadequate. I'm going to try my best to sleep well tonight. Baby is in the nursery, but any advice you can have would be appreciated. She responded, I'm so sorry it's a bit rough right now. You've just gone through an intense, grueling, amazing process. Your husband is at home with the boys, baby is in the nursery, and you are supposed to rest, but your anxiety mind is being rude and won't let you. You're alone physically right now, except for nurse checks, which allows things to get bigger than they truly are. 
Then she offered to call and talk to me on the phone. It was after 10 p.m. I took her up on the offer and I'm so glad I did. She called and talked to me for about 45 minutes. I've been going to her for over two years, so she knows pretty much all of my triggers, fears, and anxieties. She started by talking to me about what was going on in my head. She validated what I was going through and gave me some good thoughts. She got me laughing. Then she started asking about the new baby and got me talking about my sweet husband and kids. By the end of the conversation, I felt like a different person. She brought me back to reality. I knew I wasn't completely cured or out of ever feeling that way again, but I knew I could make it. I had hope again, and she never made me feel like a burden. Her compassion for me turned my night around, and I'm so grateful. Also, this was a bonus call. She didn't charge me a cent for it. Oh my gosh, that is such a cool story. Thank you for submitting that. That is so neat. Talk about going above and beyond in your profession. If you want to support the podcast, can you go to icupodcast.com and click on support the podcast? We had to renew the website here in April. We were able to pay the website fees completely from donations and people buying apparel and then any speaking engagements that came through the podcast, people referring me to other people. We were able to totally cover the cost of the website and it was amazing. And this isn't a sponsored podcast, so every little bit really does help to keep going and to get the message out there. So thanks for that, guys. Also, it's been a cool week. Two days ago, Tony Overbay from the virtual couch. He shared one of our episodes on ICU. So that's pretty cool. He shared the episode we did together on when your marriage is hard that Tony and I uh, did together. He's been having some great feedback from his own clients about this podcast and about the one I did on his and just the the work we've done together so far. So that's pretty cool because, you know, I like Tony a lot. I think he's a stud and I think he's doing good stuff. Today, we are going to hear a conversation with Paul Pulsifer. Paul has such a radiant personality, you'll hear. He's super open about his Asperger's syndrome and the things that he's learned from having social dyslexia, as he calls it. It's a pretty different topic and aspect, which is exciting. We're spicing things up a little bit on the ICU podcast, right? Let's go ahead and go over to the interview. We are excited to have Paul Pulsifer here with us. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Will you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, having Asperger's, I'll see how I do it a little bit. <laughs> so I tell people I'm from Colorado. I pretty much am. Raised on the little tiny town called Delta. They're mission from 2006 to 2008. And in Toronto, met my wife-to-be while I was serving here before there was anything between us. <laughs> so we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this month. I've been playing the piano for over 20 years. I love to write music. I'm a Marvel geek. <laughs> so I can't wait to see Endgame this Friday. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it yet? I know, I know. I know. We have just recently found out I know your brother, which is crazy. Yeah. I know, when you texted me that, I was like, small world. <laughs> That's so, I should have put it together because you guys look so much alike and you talk so much alike and you have the same last name and it's kind of an odd last name. Hopefully he hears it. Brian Pulsefer. Yes, we lived by him. That's so fun. What's your journey been like with having Asperger's? Okay, so I was actually given a full evaluation when I was a kid. You know, my parents took me in when I was exhibiting some obviously weird, unpleasant social patterns. I think it was about third grade. So I went in for a full evaluation with a psychiatrist and all that, and they said it was ADHD. I was just, to some people, offensively hyper and talked too much and didn't know when to shut my mouth and said awkward things. And, and that's what the verdict was at first. Well, I had another evaluation done as an adult since Lorraine and I had been married. The psychiatrist at that point, he's like, what? Well, he basically said, well, 
whatever you had then, diagnosis may have been correct then. People can change over time. You know, you're saying you, you definitely, your symptoms now definitely fit more perfectly with a kind of a moderate Asperger's syndrome. I looked more up on it and I'm like, yeah, you know what? And Lorraine and I were both just and like, holy cow, this is a way better fit. It explains so much. What are some challenges that have come with having Asperger's? When you know somebody with Asperger's, you know one person with Asperger's, right? So the best terminology I've ever been able to come up for it is I have sort of a social dyslexia, if you want to call it that. I don't know what it means to flirt. I have no clue how to flirt. I don't know how to flirt with my wife, for crying out loud. I don't know how to do it. And people tell me, oh, that's flirting. I'm like, what about it? Please define it for me. And nobody can do it. So I'm like, no, I'll compliment somebody. I'm just being nice. And oh, that's a flirtation. I'm like, how? Why? Explain to me here. And mm-hmm. so that's caused problems over the years. <laughs> um, and things like idioms. So some of them I can get well, like raining cats and dogs. That's an obvious one. Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's never raining cats and dogs. But <laughs> when it gets to like sensitive subject matter um, or something I feel really passionate about or I'm trying to explain how I feel to someone and someone, you, well, they use like a generalized expression like, oh, this person always does that. And I'm like, uh, no, they don't. Right. You know? Everybody else usually understands a situation like that. They don't mean always. It's just a generalized statement. In my brain, I'm thinking, whoa, hold the phone, you know, back up here. And that happens all the time in my head. So you can see how So your brain, your brain takes things very literally then, it sounds like. Yeah, more often than others, I'm self-aware. I don't always know how awkward I'm being, but I'm aware enough to see that it's a problem. My brain analyzes spoken conversation the same way a computer analyzes a chessboard. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's an interesting analogy. That's really helpful. Have there been people in your life that showed you compassion or have connected with you that have made just dealing with this social dyslexia easier for you? Yes. I'm not good at peopling, if you will, but I love, 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 love people, right? I love it. (laughs) The number of people who have at least been willing to be a good listener and reciprocate expressions of love and friendship. The kind of people that will reach out first. I don't have to be the one to say, hey, how's it going? They'll they'll actually text me first sometimes or whatever. It's weird because my wife, when I explained to her what my quote-unquote friends were growing up, what I considered her friend was somebody who doesn't make fun of me and, and bully me in school. That was my definition. <laughs> mm-hmm. My wife had told me after a few years, like she, she were, we were talking about this thing and she goes, that's really sad. No one ever reached out to you first, like ever, like, oh no, what's the big deal? She's like, oh, that's what friends do. Real friends will reach out to you first as well. They will ask you to listen to them. And it's a two-way street. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I, I was ignorant. So I'm like, I didn't know any better. I realized what she was saying. And I'm like, oh, you know, that does kind of suck. I never thought of that before. So those who have actually done that, I'm like, okay, they're a keeper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So did you get bullied quite a bit growing up? Yeah. Oh, I did. Yes. And, and honestly, I didn't even know that some of it I was kind of bringing on myself. I didn't, I wasn't even aware, right? So I just thought, oh, well, everybody's mean at school. And, and even at church, I mean, there was a few boys at church growing up and I just, uh, if it wasn't for my parents and the firm our gospel foundation they gave me, I think I would have just given up on that. Right. Well, it's like the difference between believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing like the culture, the people that are often imperfect and do stupid things sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. So how have your experiences being bullied, struggling with social dyslexia, like you described it, how have those experiences given you empathy for others who feel different because of a challenge they have? When you talk about empathizing with others, and my wife suffers radiantly. 
when I learned about her story, just the number of things that like horrible, terrible things she's been through. I heard all this and I'm like, the fact that she had become better instead of bitter blew me away. And I'm like, I need to be have her in my life. I like, I love that kind of person who can just handle trials so well. And as I'm looking at what she's going through after everything Ray and I have been through now, the more we go through the hard stuff and then the good things that compensate, I see other people who suffer anywhere near as badly as her. I'm like, we need to help them. We can help them because we've been through that. I know how much it sucks and I know how badly I needed this kind of help, you know, this whatever kind of help they needed back when I was going through this or when we were. And I just like, it, it feels good to help, you know? It does feel good to help. And it, like, I feel everything. I feel so much, I, I think so much stronger and longer than everybody else that it gets overwhelming, which causes the communication problems. But I still have that thing where I just want to be like, oh, I got to want to help them because the more happiness I can give, the more happiness you get back, whether you ask for it or not. I sometimes I come across, I think, and people have told me I come across as, oh, look at me, I want attention. And I was like, well, no, I mean, I do want attention, but not because he checked me out. It's because the more people I can reach, the more people I can help. When I mess up, it's like, oh, crap, I hope I can fix this so I can help them and they will want me to help them and they'll trust me again. Yeah, because you know, you know that you have your own superpowers to give. I have this like, ability to, to a fault, to laser focus. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people with Asperger's and autism have you know, our niche, right? We have a few things we're interested in and that's it. And my wife sometimes will tell me, you need to change the channel, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, you know, I'm just like, I want so badly to use that to help people. And That's awesome. On the podcast, we talk a lot about seeing people with compassion and connection, as you know. What are some ways to see someone who has an internal struggle like this? There's a lot of people suffering out there who are doing it in silence. My wife is one of those people. You're at the hospital right now, it looks like. Horrific pain because she never screams at anything. She hides her pain really well. And I think a lot of people do that. It's not a matter of finding the right words to say. It's a matter of finding any words to say because of how strong of the emotions. It's like, I think, oh, happy, sad, scared. It's like, no, 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 Those are like insulting for how I'm feeling right now. It's not even nearly complete enough is the word, I guess. So when people suffer silently, well, the more I can help people kind of come out of that shell and find someone they, they feel safe trusting, for me, that kind of person is so helpful because I'm like, finally, someone who I don't have to sugar everything up around. At church, everybody asks, oh, how's Elaine doing? How, you know, how's, is she okay? And at this point, I almost tell people anymore. I, I, I almost want to tell every single one of them, why don't you come and find out? Come visit her. So I feel like what you're kind of saying is show up, say something, do something. Just sitting there, just being present listening even if that's all you're doing and you can't even give any feedback just saying oh wow that sounds hard or why don't you tell me more about this or that or anything no what how else can you describe that to him help me understand better even just things like that maybe they just don't get it maybe it's like oh this is oh i I can't possibly help them with this this is out of my league even something like that can still say goodness how do you do it you know just little things absolutely well and i've definitely found that to be the same for me The things that really brought me out of the darkness were the times when someone would sit with me and try and understand me and wouldn't try to fix it, but I didn't feel alone. 
I didn't feel isolated. I felt like someone was actually seeing me. Mm-hmm. Like they knew that I was hurting and that they were acknowledging and witnessing that part of my life. That's so powerful. It can create miracles doing that for other people. And so I think that we need to be so careful when people are hurting and when people are struggling that we don't avoid because it's uncomfortable or we don't know what to say. Nothing amazing ever happens in our comfort zone, right? And that's where it comes back to the um, person who really can see you for what your, your, your perspective is, right? And for people who really get it, who have been through just mind-blowing stuff on both ends, good and bad, the few people in my life who get that kind of thing, who can really understand where Lorraine and I are coming from, it's like, oh, I can just relax. I can say whatever I need to. You're, they're not going to judge me. They're not going to look at me like I have six heads and be like, oh, you know, smile. And with that smile, and it's like yeah, underneath, you know, they're thinking, you got a little few screws loose there. You know, it's, I can just, oh, I don't have to sugarcoat anything. Thank you, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that because I feel like when you go through something really difficult or are consistently going through something difficult, like you and your wife are, it sounds like it really brings clearly into perspective what is most important and what is not. Oh my goodness, yeah. It exactly. simplifies everything real quick. One of the phrases I loved, which is, don't ask how good you have to be, but rather how good you can be. For me, that's helped immensely to just think, you know, why am I looking for how much good I should be doing? Because if I can shoot like, past what my parents encouraged me to do in the moment, you know, how much better can I be to other people? Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking, I find if I'm looking for, you know, this is what I need to do, it, it's limiting, right? And I'm looking for, well, that's not good enough. I want to feel better about, you know, myself and about the kind of person I am. So why not go out of my way to look for other people who have the same kind of difficulties as Lorraine and I do? And it's not hard to find them. You're right. It's not hard to find them. They're everywhere. We just got to open our eyes, right? So if there's someone listening that is struggling because they feel different, what advice would you give them? Not just try more, but try better. It kind of parallels to don't just disagree. You don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better when you're talking about controversial stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of try better because a lot of people, I think they, they get challenges and they're like, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm not getting anywhere. Sometimes I think that the, the holdup that people think of is, well, if I'm trying, I'm not getting anywhere. What's the point? A lot of times the issue isn't that we're not trying enough. We just need to try better. So what I mean by that is, and I'll illustrate it with an article I read since I'm a pianist. There was a study that was done a number of years ago. This is the University of Texas at Austin. And it was a study about habits that top piano practitioners do differently that makes them the top, you know, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And in this study, the, the people who, like, they were given a piece by Shostakovich, mm-hmm. a piece of music, which was purposely too difficult to just sight read it, even in just one practice session. It was purposely too hard to just learn like that. And in this study, the people who had the highest rankings, they didn't practice longer. They didn't have more repetitions than anyone else, or even the number of times they played it correctly didn't have any bearing on how well they did overall. What did matter in their trying and their practicing was how many times they played something incorrectly and the percentage of correct attempts. And there were different practice strategies that each pianist used. And the top three strategies um, they used all led to a higher proportion of correct attempts. There was one thing that all those strategies had in common. It was how they responded to their mistakes. It was when I mess up, 
am I just, oh, I try again and try again and try again. You know, am I beating my head against a brick wall? Am I trying the same thing over and over again? Or am I, okay, let's step back from the music. What was the problem there? What is my brain doing with, with that note or this note there? You know, I'm kind of slowing it down, thinking, you know, the observers from the outside were looking at their mistakes and they would notice that the top practitioners would actually sit there and hum to themselves and kind of talk out loud and kind of express what they're thinking and okay, this, and, oh, oh wait, they'd circle stuff on the page and they would really think about the root cause of why is this specific note or chord hard? And it was how they responded to their mistakes, mentally, physically, all of that was the key thing. And for me, that's been the number one thing too, is when I see problems that are just happening over and over and over again, I'm not overcoming this difficulty, this weakness, with my wife's help, thankfully. <laughs> and I step back and I'm like, okay, let, let's think about this. How am I responding to my problems? Am I just trying to fix, 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 fix? Or am I figuring out what about this problem am I not understanding enough to conquer? That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. And thank you for using your life and your struggles with Asperger's and just learning how to deal with it. Thank you for bringing the beauty out in it and helping other people. It's incredible. It's an incredible way to live. My wife thinks this is kind of weird of me to say this. That she's always like, why do you call it a superpower? Because I think a lot of people, we, we see these struggles as weaknesses so often, but they can actually be considered, if you look at it the right way, as a superpower. Like my laser focus, as much as it sometimes makes me forget to, oh, oh, that's right. My stomach's like, oh, by the way, Paul, you need to eat. And like, oh, shut up, stomach. I'm too focused to think about food right now. I'm a kind of a eat to live kind of guy. <laughs> it can be considered a superpower. It doesn't have to be all about weakness. And my ability to feel that much love for people even if sometimes it hurts, it's like, at least I have that much stronger of a motivation to try. One of these, those Facebook questions you have, I don't know if you've been familiar with those, like those little personal questions you can answer. One of them was uh, asked me, I was scrolling through, I'm like, that's fun to answer questions. So one of them said, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And it got me thinking, and I thought, what is really my biggest reason for getting up each day? Why do I do it? Especially when there's like really hard nights where the rain's not sleeping, I'm not sleeping, and just a horrible, terrible, painful night for her, and I'm like, feeling helpless the whole time, what gets me up? And amid all the horrific things I've seen around, I go through all the moments where I felt just helpless, unmet needs, people have suffered over the years. I can only think of one foolproof answer. And that was, I made promises with God. I love him. I love my wife. And I made promises to people I love more than my own life. And that alone, you know, my word is my bond, period. If I stop trying, what does that say about all that time wasted for nothing for those people I care so much about? It's like, if I keep, even if I keep failing over and over again, I got to keep trying, you know, repetitive, even if you have to mess up repetitively, it's still going to be worth it in the end. It's going to feel better than feeling like all that time was just wasted. Right. Absolutely. Well, and it comes back to that laser focus superpower you have. Your word is your bond, right? You keep your promises. It's not everybody chooses to do that. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Pretty powerful stuff. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Paul, and just sharing your light with us. I appreciate it. You're using your, your gifts to help other people. So if, if I may hear down about that is that earlier this week, interestingly enough, I had one of those little uh, moments. I don't know if you've seen that video that America's Got Talent, this, this uh, autistic kid actually, who was uh, very verbally, conversationally limited. I don't know how many people have seen that yet, but 
he, he can't like conversationally speak very well. Right. But when he sits at the piano, it's like, whoa, who is this guy? Like, it's like, it's like there's a switch that just goes off and he can just sing like crazy, but he can't really talk to people very well. Not just like, like emotionally, but like physically, he has a hard time speaking. And so I saw that and I shared it and I said, you know, oh, that's great. You know, never let your limitations define who you are. And, and I wrote that. And I, it's like God put that in my head because I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, holy cow. I realized ever since I started my blog in 2013 and started this podcast, I'm like trying to fix the thing that's not a strength. Focus on my blog and on this podcast, all these things about that involve communication, my weakness, so that I can focus on that weakness and improve it. It took me six years to realize it. This is working. It's working. Well, thank you for being here, Paul. Thank you. My wife just got back, so perfect timing. Awesome, awesome. All right. Ah, Paul, he's great. And I really did love so many of the gems, so many just like one-liners from some of his responses. He hits some things just right on the head with his wisdom and, and just his interesting perspective, having Asperger's syndrome. Paul, thank you for being here. And Paul actually does have a religious podcast. It's a Christian podcast that he started. And I'll leave links for that in the show notes. It is called Stepping Into Freedom. So that's a pretty cool thing that, that he's doing to share his, his gift and his perspective. Next week, my guest and I are going to be discussing the emotion of dun dun dun, dun anger. So her mom was taken from her. She died suddenly because guess what? Cancer sucks. I hate cancer so much. I can't even tell you. And we talk about all the angry feelings and what she did with those to get out of that tornado because she was angry for a very, very long time. And not just, not just at God, not just at one person, at a lot. She was angry at a lot. And it turns out that I have a lot of anger issues too because I cry a lot in the interview. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, that Maybe that gives you an insight into me. I don't know. Listeners, thank you for sticking with me so far. This is episode 46, which is crazy and awesome and including bonus episodes. I've done 50 episodes on here, so that's kind of cool. I remember when someone told me, you just got to make it past 10. Most don't do it past 10 and here we are, you know, we're getting closer to 50. So that's pretty awesome. It's exciting. If you feel like this has been helpful in your life, will you please, please share the ICU podcast? And also don't forget to send me questions you'd like me to answer and those stories of times when you felt seen or you know someone that's been seen. My name is Julie Lee and I see you. Mm-hmm.